Hello? Pizza delivery for, uh, Icy Wiener? Oh, crud. Here's to another lousy millennium. What the? see any of them again. Happened one year. A look back at the events, big and small, famed and forgotten from the year. Hi, everybody! Welcome to the show. We are commencing another episode of the podcast. We're doing it again. Yeah. It happened one year, 1967. Oh, right. I always get surprised when you say 1967. Yeah, it's a new thing. It is. I'm Joe. I'm Sarah. Look at we're us. Here. We're here to do it. Bringing the information to the people. <laughs> 1967 style. It's everything they've asked for. And more. yeah, I mean, this season so far has been gangbusters. <laughs> I, I can't even describe the sensation of uh, of acceptance and love that is the outpouring for everyone who has listened to the early episodes so far. People yes. cannot get enough. Yeah. So listeners, if you haven't already told us, which mo many of you have told us how much you like the 1967 season. Let us know how much you like it, if it's a lot. I can't even respond to all of the comments we've received yep. and all of the emails. We got a we got a telegram the other day. I don't even know how that's possible. <laughs> Arrived right here at It Happened One Year uh, Studios. <laughs> headquarters. The, the world headquarters here at the Columbian. It happened one year. Ahoy HQ, if you will. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's been, it's, you know, we haven't recorded an episode in a while, so I'm curious to see what we've even got left. I feel like yeah. we, we shot everything we had on maybe the Easter Sunday episode, the, uh, <laughs> the love in, the love in just took it all out of us. Um, and I think since we, then we've been recuperating. I think we did that on the first season, actually. <laughs> it was, feels like a long time ago. It does. Uh, but you know, we're doing our best. The weather's finally warming up. It's, uh, Beautiful. we're trying to, you know, embrace the summer. I got a sunburn today on my bit. nose. A little yeah. sunburn on my nose. When we were sitting out in the park, we didn't even have any, uh, we didn't even bring any beverages. We didn't. We didn't bring any, any like a frozen daiquiri or, uh, no. or you know, a frozen marg. It's what we do. We bring our blender over to the park. Yeah. Plug, like we, we got a battery pack for it that we plug it into. Yeah. That would have kept marks. it cool. Because keeping uh, things cool, as you know, difficult. And that segues nicely into today's topic. <laughs> Oh, that was well done. That was well done. Yes. Thought you'd like that. Yeah. So, January 12th, 1967. Uh, a date which I guess is commemorated in some circles to this day hmm. as James Bedford Day. Yep. Even though I would assume most people don't know who James Bedford is at all. No. Right? 
Yeah, I, I would. I certainly did not would not have been able to identify. I would have guessed that the the thing that James Bedford is known for was a title held by someone more famous. But I mean, I guess there probably less. are better known people who have done this. Yeah, but he was first. Yes. And I almost out of tradition, they have continued uh, keeping him yeah. in in fun frozen stasis yes. somewhere. Yes. So, Ice cold. but yeah, January twelfth is apparently you know celebrated to some level as James Bedford Day, which is weird. There you go. Yeah. Um. So that's the day that James Bedford died. Yes. Correct. And was was frozen. And first dude. First dude. Exactly. He was the first man frozen in the world with the idea that he could be brought back. I'm sure there were <laughs> people who died by being frozen, yes. right? People like were frozen. Yes. people who tried to find the North pole yep. or space accidents. There must be some people, I, right? I think if you climb Everest, it's, I, I picture just being littered with frozen bodies. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what they used to say, right? Because they yep. couldn't possibly bring them down. It's too complicated. Yep. So exactly. Yeah. So we're not saying he's the first person to ever be frozen. No. A lot of people have been frozen. Yes. But he was the first person purposely frozen with the idea of potentially bringing them back to life someday in the future. Yeah. Now, even though I knew this was a thing that people did, I still kind of didn't believe it until we really started reading a lot of yeah. this information. Like, it seems like such a far-fetched concept and there's yeah. no real science to back it up that yeah. the fact that anybody even does this seems crazy. And I don't know, I guess I just never really, I always thought of this as like, a science yeah. fiction trope and then maybe there's some company doing some little research into it but not to the extent of what this is yeah and the stories about like especially how the first people were frozen like the process that they went through i, I would picture like you have to go to a lab and there's like a lot of like camp but they basically just put them in ice yeah. <laughs> they, they cycled out their blood put them in ice yeah. call it a day not a great plan in the early days no. uh, from no. what i could find there was some sort of I don't know if was, I want to say it was a contest, but there was some sort of agreement in in 66 yeah. that like they were going to free somebody for free. Like this was part of this yeah. original group, like their the Life Extension Society at the time. Mm -hmm. This was their plan was and I think maybe they just needed a guinea pig. So they were like, whoever comes along. Yeah. You know, and Bedford, James Bedford was interested in this, but was not the person chosen. And then the person they did choose, I think backed out or something. So like, that's why this didn't happen in 66. Yeah. You got to speak up before you die to back out. But yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I guess that person was just like, nah, I, I'm good. Just and kidding. so then, uh, you know, in the, in the early going of, uh, January of the following year, Bedford jumped right in there yeah. with his, uh, kidney cancer that had metastasized to the point that it killed him. Can we start with who James Bedford was to can yeah. you tell us what you know about him? Let's get into it. James Bedford was, I, I actually, I think this will be a fun thing to talk about for you because you might be able to speak to some of this. Mm. He was a psychology professor for a brief period of time at the University of Cal. Nice. Um, he was born in 1893. So when he dies, he's in his 70s. He's 73 yep. when he dies, oh, something like that. Um, but he authored a lot of books about uh, vocations and, and occupational orientations and occupational adjustment. That was basically oh. his thing, right? So he's, right. so in the forties and fifties, I don't know how that exactly that would relate to your field of study now, but it feels similar to me. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. That feels similar. So, so this is a story I probably should tell on the podcast, but when I took the eight, so when you go, apply for grad school, you have to take the, like the regular, I think there were ACTs and then there's like a ACT. And then there's like a, there's a, there's a, 
a field specific version. And I had to take the general psychology one, right? You have to take that, I guess, to show that you gain some knowledge in undergrad and can go be a graduate student in, in the, in the field. The fourth question on the test is who is the, who was the father of IO psychology? And I did not recognize any of the names. Oh no. <laughs> so there's a lot about the like origin of like the research in my field that I probably should know that I really don't. I mean, some of the books he wrote, I mean, again, these are old books, but he wrote vocational yeah. interests in secondary school students. But then he also went to occupational exploration, a guide to personal and occupational adjustment. Oh, so and then in like... 1950, he wrote your future job, a guide to personal and occupational orientation of youth. Oh, and then so it's like picking amended that six years later with youth in the atomic age. So he oh. updated it. So it's like it's like career counseling is what he kind of basically. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not really my, my jams. But yes, that's it's it's tangentially related. But did your field exist in the 40s? Is it that oh old? No, I think the earliest research is in the 50s. Like typically what they point to is like the earliest example of research in my field. Listeners get excited. I'm, I'm sure you're all ready to hear about this. It's like time what we would call a time and date studies. It's like productivity studies in in like factories and, and things. So like the function and mechanics of work, which kind of evolved into, you know, how do we design jobs? How do we, how do we measure? How do we assess? How do we do all of those things? And, and how, how do we you know, think about, and then you get into more of the O side stuff. Like, how do you think about motivation? How do you think about job satisfaction? How do you measure engagement? Like those kinds of things. But it really started as like a functional, like how do you structure work kind of, but close to that time, like it's been around for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that feels like it would be in relation to a sort of career counseling type, yeah. type ideas, like what, why do people pursue the types of careers they do maybe, and then yeah. start to reverse engineer it to make it more yeah. accessible or appealing or something. I think there were some studies that would have connected to like World War Two, and like there was a lot of research coming out of, out of the the kind of pots of information you had in the, associated with the war from across psychology, I think. But I think there were like pilots and like groups of occupations where there were little studies, but it wasn't really a bigger thing until a little bit later. But yeah, so this is what Bedford was into, uh, 40s and 50s. I think then he really went into teaching in sort of a more full-time way. And then he got riddled with cancer and died. I, I you know, manning the death pool like I do, I don't really like to talk about the way people died, but it feels relevant here. Yeah. Like, so not only, so again, he gets frozen in early 67 and with the idea of bringing him back. Now, a lot of people who get frozen, it feels like don't get frozen because they're dying. It's mostly like they look longevity. The idea of being able to live to yeah. a super old age doesn't exist now and maybe it will in the future. But in this yeah. case, this would also be we'd have to solve cancer, too. So that's like the, the you know, second part to the James Bedford story. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that's true. Although in some of the other stories I was reading about other people being frozen, it was that they had some sort of disease that they hoped they could cure. So can you imagine your body going through the process of getting frozen? You get woken up somehow, which can't feel good. And then all of a sudden you're still facing with like, oh, I got to fix this cancer that killed me the first time around. Like, right. come on. Tough. That's, Tough. you know, these are sort of the gray areas of this. Yeah. And really the whole thing is one big gray area as, mm -hmm. again, there's no science to prove that any of this could work ever at this point. Yeah. But nonetheless, they have the technology to freeze the person, which I guess is something. Even yeah. though in the early days, it's not as sophisticated as it would become. No. There's a more elaborate freezing system that gets introduced later. But yes. what, what do we know about the actual process of when he was frozen? What, what was that event like? Yeah, so I know that there was one. Um, so I read probably a version of it. You probably read a slightly different version of it. 
Um, but I know that there were three people there. There was an actual like chemist. There was a second person who I don't remember what their function was. I think a doctor. There's and an then actual there, doctor there. An yeah. actual doctor. Yeah. And then there was the third person who I know the most about who was the president of the, it was like the American cryonics society, I think, or the national cryonics society or some, some other group different than the group that, that did the whole, like who like the first person for free. But there were, I think at that time there was some interest in cryonics and there were a bunch of these like groups of people interested in it popping up. So from what I know, this guy was the president of that group in California. His name was Bob Nelson. He was a TV repairman, but he was there and he was participating in and, and, uh, and responsible for the freezing. So the Bob Nelson story we're going to get into in different parts, but his story is, is my favorite part of this. So James Bedford, very important because he is frozen, but Bob Nelson, very important because he is amusing. Like the, what his experience, his, his whole story is, is crazy. So he was just, he was just a guy who thought this was interesting, went to an American cryonic society meeting and they, they voted him president with no, like, again, he's a TV repairman. He knows nothing about this. So he was there at the first freezing. The way he tells the story is that they were literally running around trying to find ice for this guy because they were not prepared for him to die. But he died. And most of their freezing, in the story I read, they didn't talk a ton about Bedford because it seems like they froze him and then and then shipped him off. But most of the freezing happened in an office with him, like, laid across or the people being frozen just like laid across two desks that they pushed together. Right. And they do this process. I can't forget. I can't remember the name of it, but where they like replace all of the person's blood with other, with like chemicals. So they drain all your blood and replace it with something else. And then they stick you in dry ice. And that's what it is. That's how they do it. They do it as fast as they can after death. And then Nelson kind of took responsibility for the people that he, that they froze. And so he was responsible for finding a place to put them. And that was the biggest issue is that they figured out how to freeze them. I don't know if that means they can reanimate, but they froze them in this like janky, you know, kind of way, but then they didn't have anything to do with them. They had, they had no plan. And so they basically just kept like Bedford. I think they drove to like some guy's garage and like just kept him there for a couple of weeks until they shipped him off. I think first to Arizona, which is where he went to a real capsule. Is that is that right? Yeah, I've got sort of the path of, of what happened to his body because it did move around a lot. But a lot of that was also because the first company went out of business, hmm. which is a, a big running theme in this entire field because no kidding. this is, you know, again, I don't know where the money comes from. It's a little tough. Like people have to pay to do this. Yeah. But then they somehow there has to be income and there's not a lot of sources of that income. But uh, he was first stored at Edward Hope's cryocare facility in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. So that was the first thing. And like I had that like once they got him into the tube, that was yep. like his more or less permanent tube for the next yep. whatever it was, 15, 20 years. Like he stayed in that tube. It's just yep. the tube that kept moving around. And then like they had to check the seals and make sure that he remained yeah. frozen. But I but, think it was a it was a couple weeks before he found his way to the tube. Because I, yeah, I think he, he was with Bob Nelson. Like the stories was that Bob Nelson was like driving him around town trying to find a place to, to yeah. keep him. Um, so it was, was a pretty fly by night operation to begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They it's amazing to me that they figured out how to freeze people and weren't like, Oh, where are we going to put them? Like yeah. that seems like the first part of the plan. Cause that yeah. is the more like that is forever. Like you have to find a place to put them forever. So anyway, right. yes, it's the logistics of it. It's like you have a yeah. company that can make something that people want to buy, but then you don't know how to ship it. That's basically, yeah. you know, like yeah. just complications. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so he was first at in Phoenix and then in 69. So two years later, he gets moved to 
the Galiso factor, uh, facility, which is in Anaheim. Mm. So, you know, he, he doesn't leave the West Coast. Like, it's not far. Yeah. But he does bounce around quite a bit. So he's there for a while. And then he moves to, they move him to uh, Trans Time, which is in Emeryville, California. Sure. Uh, in 76, I have. But then he, Trans Time goes under. And his son, Norman, <laughs> Norman Bedford, and his uh, his wife, like, store him in the garage for a series of years. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, I guess somehow that capsule, I don't know what they need, yeah. like, what kind of power you need. It must be something. It can't just be running on dry ice or whatever for yeah. years and years and years. There must be something. Especially they're living in, like, California and Arizona. It's not like they're in yeah. Canada, like, somewhere where you could naturally keep it cold, right? Yeah. Well, so we'll get to this, but Nelson had other capsules with people in it, and it was just, like, he had a vault underground, and it didn't have to have power, I don't think, as I understand it, but it had to, like, the capsule had to be correctly sealed and and running and, and um, regulated, and so it's, like, the seals would break or the... I guess there was, there was like, a like a motor or something that that powered it yeah um, so there might yeah you're right there must have been power of some kind but, there must be yeah. something because i mean otherwise what's the actual cost if you yeah. can just leave them in the tube and the tube keeps them cold nothing yeah. else you need to do but it can't be there's clearly more to it than that you gotta it's plug that into the wall right? basic refrigeration yeah. come on yeah the only other things i saw was like so the company he's with now the where he has resided since 1982 is with a company called alcor life extension foundation which is like the name in this now there's other companies that still do this yeah but they seem to be the main place they finally had like big facilities where they could store a lot of people first it was in fullerton california and then in 1994 1994 james bedford moved to scottsdale arizona where he has been to this uh remains to this day Oh, good for him. He got to go back to Arizona. Yeah, that, but yeah, Alcor moved their whole uh, operation to Scottsdale. I think there were some law issues with California, and that's that why they good. left. But yeah. I don't know the I don't remember the details of that. Did you see any of that of why that would have happened? No, I, I no, I didn't see anything about that. the The only like data I had was from kind of in that sixties, early seventies time frame, and it did amaze me that like nothing that they seem to be doing was illegal. Like right. you've got a body in your garage. Like right. we're, su- they're supposed to be pretty tight control around what happens to dead bodies. Like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, somehow there was some sort of workaround and Arizona apparently really doesn't care. So, you know, anything goes wild, wild West, but, but yeah, that that's partly why they left California. What I had read. I want to say it was some legal issue around these things, either as far as, energy usage or the actual storage of corpses that yeah. they they had to do this so that's why they moved there and that's where the headquarters i believe is to this day i i, I what i saw was since 1994 so it's amazing that he's still in the tube the tube's still working like it's remarkable because the more you read into this no none of these companies contemporary to the time still exist it's just yeah. this this person it's not even the company life extension yeah. society doesn't exist anymore either yeah but and ever that what i had read was everyone who went was frozen before 1973 ultimately had to be thawed out and buried except yep. for bedford and i think yeah. it's just because he was the first guy that they've managed to keep this going and i guess his yeah. son did have some interest in this sure a lot of the issues of this are around family members who aren't cool with this and there is some ex- like yeah you know continuing costs and stuff but yeah you know, some people had life insurance that set them up into this. There are some examples of other people of how they paid for it, but yep. that does seem to be a strong issue in the overall. Well, so that does pivot us nicely into Bob Nelson, who is like Joe and I set up to do research on this 
on on Bedford and I could not stop reading about Bob Nelson. Like he <laughs> this this story is so fascinating. Okay, so he he freezes we're going to go to him. He freezes Bedford. Great. Fine. Bedford goes off to Arizona. He has to like find a place for him. Pretty soon after that, people from the cryonic society, like old people who are like, hey, you know, it'd be cool if I could come back to life. So that's who's in this society. Right. Um, it's not rich people. It's not it's just people who want to get frozen. They start dying. Uh, Nelson here, he's got a good heart. He wants to help. He just starts freezing people, people who don't have money to be frozen, people who don't have money to be kept frozen. And so he starts storing them in, in weird places and he starts the, the most interesting part, piling multiple bodies into capsules. So he's oh got God. like one, they, they describe it as like a, so his friend, part of the society dies, they freeze her. She doesn't have a lot of money. So they, they've got her in like a, the container that they use to ship caskets. So it's, it's bigger than a casket. They put her in, they put like lining in it, throw some dry ice in, call it a day. Right. And then someone else dies and he was like, well, I got this casket. So he puts another person in, they get three people in here. Right. Someone comes to him and says, I want to get someone who had been frozen and was kept, not the person, obviously the relative of a person who had been frozen comes to him and says, my, my, I don't remember who it was my husband, my dad, someone, my mom, someone's in, in Michigan. I can't pay for it anymore. And, and Nelson takes their, the capsule. Cause he had, he had then bought like a vault in a cemetery. So it was like buried into the ground in the cemetery. And this is where he's going to start to keep the people that he had frozen. So he gets this like professional capsule and he's like, sweet. So he starts cramming people in with the person who was originally in that capsule. So think it wasn't Bedford, but think you're Bedford. You're in your cold capsule. You're good to go. Shove two more people in there just because <laughs> that like we got the space for it. And and <laughs> in listening to them talk about it, they like, oh, well, people are frozen. So you got to like move their elbows and shit, get them to fit in there. Like, so you get all these people in this capsule. He gets two of these capsules. He fills it with six people. And then he comes across this like little girl who's got cancer and she's going to die. And he makes this promise. He takes her to Disney World. He makes this promise to her dad and da, da, da. And she dies, shoves her right in a capsule with other people too. Like, but nobody else knows that there are multiple people in these capsules. They think their their family members have like their own little space. They're nice. They're going to be safe. And of course the capsules, they all fail because they're like, they're early technology. So, so the story goes like he like was spending, he went bankrupt trying to keep the capsules going, the cost of like repairs and the, and the um, dry ice and all the stuff that you need, the liquid nitrogen to keep these people frozen. And so basically they just all, the capsules all fail. He like goes away for the week and they all fail. And he just washes his hands of it. Oh my God. And then apparently some people came to the cemetery, opened the vault, took the people. Nobody knows where their relatives are. Nobody knows where those people in those capsules went. They went somewhere. Nobody knows where they are. This guy got sued. He ended up paying money. He like retell stories about like flying to the family members and telling them, oh, the capsules failed. They didn't like he didn't do any of that. He just went away. Anyway, it's an amazing story of complete and total failure. Like, (laughs) Because the, the the crux of the issue was that he it's this idea that you, you they didn't plan they didn't plan for where they were going to put the people they froze the people did not know where they were going to put the people did not have adequate like facilities and just like shoved them into capsules. It's well, amazing. you see, this is sort of the crazy unstructured part of this in the beginning. There yes. are companies later who actually like you know built facilities for this, but it does seem like in the early days there's just no plan at all, right? But I think this speaks to if you want to do this, you got to have like money you gotta have money flowing into it because like a lot of the issues with these people didn't have money to get frozen but 
they were enthusiasts. They were enthusiasts, and these right. people had the 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 capability to to freeze people. They had the tools to do the freezing, yeah. but they didn't have the resources to do the keeping of the of the people who were frozen. Yeah. So the story, as far as Bedford is concerned with Nelson, I did find a sort of breakdown of what actually happened there. It doesn't go into a lot of the Nelson details because it's mostly focused on Bedford, but apparently Bedford was only with Nelson for six days after he was frozen. And it was that they just felt that, you know, it was the, his, his wife and his son uh, realized that Nelson, you know, had no plan and yeah. There, he was keeping people in Chatsworth, and all of those were the people who thawed out and decomposed. Yes. And so that was, you know, how they managed to get Bedford away from him it, yeah. immediately, early, yeah. you know, in 67. It was oh, yeah. right at the same time. I think that was probably before anybody else even died, but the Chatsworth stuff is cra- That's the cemetery. That's where yep. he had his vault. Like, it's yep. crazy. It's crazy. so crazy. So it's, I, you know, it's wild the people, who these people were, and they all wrote books. So if you're yes. interested, there's a ton of literature from these people. I don't know how reliable any of it's going to be, but yeah. the guy who founded the Life Extension Society was a guy named Evan Cooper who had a book, I think the first real, I don't even know if you can say that it's like he did the first research or even the science, or if it's really, again, just an enthusiast's guide to being frozen, but it's called Immortality, colon, uh, Physically, Scientifically. So I'm sure there's some theories (laughs) in there. I don't know how great that's going to be. And again, Life Extension Society didn't last a super, super long time. Oh, his book is also on the back of a guy named uh, Robert Edinger, who also wrote a book. He wrote The Prospect of Immortality, which sounds on the surface is probably being a lot more uh, philosophical, uh, you know, maybe pie in the sky, but maybe just theoretical as far as, you know, we could do this. And then everybody just ran from there. Uh, Of the three people who were involved in in James Bedford's freezing, Prohoda, a Dr. Brunal and Nelson, Prohoda and Nelson both wrote books. Uh, Prohoda's book is called Suspended Animation. And uh, Nelson's book is called We Froze the First Man. So... But I would like to say that Nelson also wrote a book called Freezing People is, in parentheses, not easy. My Adventures in Cryonics. So that's not just about Bedford. That's about his whole life. But I just really like the title. Now he's writing about himself. Yeah. May 14th, 3 p.m. Robert Austin is a loner. May 14th, 3.15 p.m. Robert Austin buys a Honer harmonica. May 14th, 8.15 p.m. Robert Austin plays his first tune. October 14th, five months later, Robert Austin joins the Whatchamacallits. October 26th, girls discover Robert Austin. He is no longer a loner. He's got a honer. the new sounds come from Honer. Harmonicas, melodicas, electronic instruments, contessa guitars, sonar drums. Don't be a loner. Get a Honer. Okay, so what do you have for for us on other people who are frozen? Well, I mean, so the, the funny thing is that Bedford would almost certainly be the most famous person frozen just because of his placement in things, his yeah. Neil Armstrongness, if you will, that that would be it. <laughs> Do you think there are elementary schools named after James Bedford? There should be, right? I mean, I don't know. It's such kind of like optimistic quackery that I'm not sure that it really <laughs> works, right? But so maybe, you know, but maybe in California or yeah, you know, sure. some, Seattle, somewhere kind of you know a little more free freewheeling and yeah. you know optimistic. But 
The problem is, of course, Ted Williams was frozen. <laughs> and that's what creates sort of, he's the one real name. Yeah. There, I mean, the thing is that I think because this is a medical procedure, technically, a lot of this falls under HIPAA. So even though these people are oh. dead, it's kind of hard to find a lot like a concrete yeah. list that just doesn't exist. And but, Alcor, I'm sure, has such a thing, but they don't publish this, you know? Sure. But, so, like, we we know Ted Williams was frozen. Yes. Ted Williams was definitely frozen because there's a lot of lawsuits about it oh. from the rest of his family. It became sort of a big famous story at the time. Yeah. And his son is also frozen, and that's sort of, like, where this goes. Like, oh. that was all part of this. But the question is really, like, did Ted really want to be frozen? Was this, you know, he was, when he got older, you know, where his mental faculties were, was sure. this just his son and some plan to clone him? Or like, there's a lot of strange aspects to the Ted Williams story. Like, and then there's a lot of like gruesome kind of fairy tales about this that I'm not even going to get into. It was like, there are like a lot of stories of his body not being preserved correctly. Uh, yeah. And when did he I, die? Uh, 99 2000 oh, okay somewhere around there yeah um but so you know again like that's that's he's the poster child for all of yeah this. yep um there's there are other people who have some fame that we know of who have been frozen probably the most prominent person who isn't a household name but is you know yeah. famous ish was a tv producer and writer named dick claire oh and the funny part for him is that his royalties from creating and writing television shows is actually what is paying for him being frozen. <laughs> Handy. Yeah. So he was a writer in the 70s and wrote episodes of Soap and Mary Tyler Moore. He won a bunch of Emmys for writing um, The Carol Burnett Show. Oh, he wrote right. a hundred episodes of that show and he won oh a couple God. Emmys for that. Yeah. And then in the 80s, he was actually he's the creator uh, of The Facts of Life. Uh, Mama's family because it was part of Carol Burnett and sure. uh, it's a living. Wow! So he has actual credits. He's a you know an established person, but he's not you know he's not a household name by any sure. stretch. But uh, there's him. Uh, there's an an author who's I can't pronounce his actual name. He was a Persian guy, but he changed his name to FM twenty thirty. <laughs> That's his name. Andy? He's frozen. He he was a science fiction author as you can imagine, sure. and he's yeah. described as a futurist who was nostalgic for the future. Oh, oh. So he wanted to live to 2030. He, he died in 2000. He wasn't Damn. super old at the time, yeah. but he always described the year 2030 as being this magical year when <laughs> we would have conquered death by this point. Everyone's going to live forever. And he just wanted to get to that point. Look, I got bad news for how we're tracking to that. Right. I mean, here, eight, <laughs> eight years, years out, away. I don't think we have conquered death. If anything, no. we've actually backslid a bit in recent oh, years. Oh, for sure. For sure. So him dying 22 years ago, uh, yeah. I, I feel like if this ever is to work out, he's going to be well disappointed when oh, it's so 2130 at the, at the minimum. Uh, you know? but, poor guy. Uh, but he's been frozen. So nice. that's basically the list of famous people. Okay, wait. I thought Paul Disney was frozen. <laughs> well, and see, then there's rumors. And now the rumor, there's been a couple people who famously were rumored to be frozen. And yeah. Walt Disney is the top person in that list. Yeah, yeah. Now, Walt Disney died right around this time i want to oh. say i believe walt disney dies in 1966 he died in december 1966. oh so he so, couldn't have been frozen no and part of the thing is this was such a big news story 
right around this time because Bedford's frozen a month later that I think this all snowballs together into one story Yeah, where then people thought Walt Disney was frozen. And this has become this urban legend forever. I, you know, you always hear that Walt Disney was frozen. I totally always thought Walt Disney was frozen. Yeah. People, I mean, people have, you know, have bounced this around for a long time, but um, no, Walt Disney was, the problem is he was cremated and he, but his ashes are interred. Uh, in California. So I think he must have a plate of some kind or something. But um, no, they're, they're, like Nelson is even actually on record as saying people would ask him about it. And he said, no, he, you know, the, the Walt Disney Company had called him in 66 and asked him questions about the cryonics procedure sure. and how legitimate it was. And then that story also got out. So like oh. he said, no, he was not frozen. And that was that. interesting. So yeah, that's that is like the most famous. But also, um, if you had asked me when Walt Disney died, I definitely would have said like I don't know, late seventies, early eighties. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> the last I always remember the the last movie he had any involvement in was The Jungle Book, oh. and The Jungle Book came out in sixty seven. So I mean, anything like all those Disney movies just blurred together because I was a kid, so you yeah. kind of received them all at once. Like I have yeah. no sense of when it isn't it. Out. It's also weird not to get off on too much of a tangent, but isn't it yeah. also weird that like every of all of the like feature length animated movies they made between like 1950 and basically 1970 feel yeah. timeless in that way. Look like the same. Yeah. There's really yeah. not a huge difference. It's only once you start getting into the seventies and they get a little sillier sort of, or yeah. the quality is just, a, it's different. Like sword in the stone, yeah. Robin hood. They're, you, they're clearly not the same as like sleeping beauty. Like it doesn't yeah. have that same. But sleeping beauty was like the thirties, wasn't it? Sleeping beauty was in 19, like 15, 15, nine can you cut that can you cut that i just said it was in the 30s i mean snow white's the first one in 39 <laughs> that's what i was thinking. oh that's what i was thinking of. i was saying snow oh, white yeah. that's what i was thinking yeah no sleeping beauty is a much later but oh my god please cut that uh, um, we're gonna leave it in damn but, it but no it's just so that's it's an odd thing with disney movies that way yeah um the other real famous person well i i, I think they're pretty famous i don't know if you'll agree was the founder of lsd timothy leary he was real into cryonics as well. And he sure. lived to be a very old man. He lived he lived into the pool, even though. Oh, wow. He, so like he was alive in recent years ish. He lived to be like 100. Sure. But he was it's hard to exactly describe who Timothy Leary was, but he basically created LSD and he was a psychologist in this and that. He was a counterculture figure. Do you yeah. remember the story of I want to say the weather underground breaking him out of prison and sneaking him into Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. Timothy Leary, right? Oh, got it. Yeah, but he used to give speeches and stuff about cryonics. Like he was really into this idea, yeah. and it's just I think he lived so long that he just he he got out. He fell out yeah. of interest in it by the time he was a hundred. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get to a hundred, you don't want to get frozen and yeah. then reanimated. No, thank you. You like, lived a super long life. I don't I know the your exact whole reason body hurts if all that's, the time. but that seems fair, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was interested in it. I think a wonderful quote and to bring another favorite of the show back who we talked about a little bit in 1994, <laughs> I believe in one of the love episodes, uh, the late uh, lamented Jeffrey Epstein wanted to be frozen, oh. <laughs> um, but not just uh, to have his head frozen. He wanted his penis frozen. Of course he did. Because he wanted to seed the human race with his DNA. Oh, my God. And thankfully, uh, when, I don't know, the cops killed him in that jail cell or whatever happened to <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, they decided not to preserve his body. We don't right. need any more Jeffrey Epstein running around. We do not. We yeah. do not. Legitimate monster. But yeah. he uh, that's an actual an actual story that went around a little bit. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, about Epstein's life. So there was him, uh, Peter Thiel, who was in on, uh, who was a famous rich guy who founded PayPal. and Yeah, yeah. Was yeah, invested yeah. in Facebook. He wants to be frozen. He's on that list. 
Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of people who will go on record with this because it is a pretty weird thing. Yeah. And I don't know what the, you know, the reaction is. Seth MacFarlane has expressed some interest <laughs> in being frozen. <laughs> like, there's people, but it's not a real popular thing. So what 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 what's your takeaway on this? Like, you know, it's an odd story. Again, I think I've yeah. lived my whole life. You know that this exists, but it feels like, again, it feels like optimistic quackery, right? It, like, it, it's, it's just kind of a way to part fools from their money, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I love the optimism of like, I love my life so much. I'm going to come back. I don't want to I don't want to let this go. Good for them. Like if they can if they can see their way to getting frozen and that makes them feel better then I say, have at it. Sure. What are you out? It's just money. Yeah, it's just and money. you're already dead. What do you want to be the richest man in the cemetery? Ebenezer yeah. <laughs> can't take it with you when you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's odd. Like, I think part of it is a scam, but yeah. at the same time, there's clearly some, you know, there's some benefit for the people, right? Maybe you, it's, yeah. it is this idea of immortality. It's not that different from just religion, right? Sure. When you really get down to it. Totally. Like, I know religion can, you know, poison the mind and, you know, cause wars and all these other things. Yeah. But again, it's supposed to be a benefit to you while you're alive. It's supposed to give you some sort of sense of hope or comfort. And I think this actually fits in kind of the same way. Totally. It's all about having some control about what happens because death is like we have no control over it. We don't know what it what happens after you die. Like it's all about some control, I think. Yeah. And so if you can say like, you know, what, I'm going to get frozen. Eventually they'll bring me back. That's my plan. That's what's going to happen. And I think that's great. Yeah, I guess good for them. I mean, it, yeah. it again, it doesn't feel like a realistic thing. No. But, you know, if you had said, I don't know, a hundred years ago about anything, walking on the moon, you know, watching, I don't know, videos in the bathtub, everything seems crazy. So, you know, who knows? hundred years from now, anything's possible. I mean, it does speak to the optimism of what the human race can achieve. And I am at the bottom of the possible opinions of the human race right now. So sure. like, we're never going to reanimate anybody. We're not even going to save the, the, it was funny. There was a, there was a quote in one of the articles I was reading about this where someone was like, well, there's not going to be a planet for them to reanimate too. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, we're, th those capsules are going to go boom when the rest of us do uh, in, in torrential floods or wildfires or whatever it is, that's going to happen. Well, I mean, that is the most pessimistic outcome. One <laughs> yes. thing I did see is there is no serious belief that any of these companies can still exist. Oh, that, for sure. Like, even yeah. if they ever, even if they could somehow come up with this science, this science is so far down the road yeah. that it's not, you know, it's not 2030 as FM 2030 would want <laughs> no. you to believe. Like, it's, you know, it's a century from now. If then, yeah. like, it's hard to say. So somehow these companies would have to exist to that length. Yeah. And there's no, you know, any kind of company, any company lasting 100 years is already outrageous. So yeah. imagine a company that is promoting pseudo nonsense. Yeah. You know, how is that actually going to work? But yeah, that, that is one of the seeming concerns with this yeah. in a more realistic sense. But I mean, you know, also nuclear annihilation, not that unrealistic. So. <laughs> not that unrealistic. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it's true. Like we still live in a capitalist society. And so there has to be money in order to get these people back and reanimated. And so as all of their relatives die and, you know, six generations from now, I, I will say that I do work for a company that's been around for over 100 years. So just saying. Sure. <laughs> I'm not Nailed saying it. there aren't companies that have this. It's just not a very <laughs> common thing. And no. at least your company sells products. <laughs> And does not just store corpses. I, I feel like <laughs> the business model is a little different. <laughs> so, 
So, yeah, uh, so fair. that being said, um, if you had it for free, they yeah. would just take your body and freeze it. Yeah. And like, that's just it. You're just, no, yeah. have to worry about this. And that's, yeah. you know, would you even have any interest in that? No. Why not? Um, okay. I have no interest in reanimating at some point X number of years in the future when nobody that I know is still going to be alive and like, and the world's going to be completely different. I, no, not, not interested. No. 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 Even if it was it? free. Even if it was free. I mean, because again, I think the money is daunting at any point in your life where you're like, I got to commit all this money to these strangers for this this service. I don't think that's a positive experience. I think I get what I get. Like, you never know what you what it's going to feel like or what is it going to be pleasant? Like, no, I'm not. Yeah. No. I, I recently was reading a story about like one of those kind of listicle BuzzFeed type stories about people who had been in comas and they were asking them questions about yeah. what was it like to be in a coma? Yeah. And comas, I think, are also kind of fascinating in that bizarre way, yeah. but everybody has different experiences with it, you know? Sure. And part of it was like some people could say they could hear everything. Like they were almost like had like that locked in disease. It wasn't yep. exactly, you know, their coma was different. Some people said being in the coma was like just you blink and all of a sudden you, you had been asleep all this time or you were in the yep. coma this whole time. And so there's different stories like this. And what I wonder is even though these people died and then were frozen, I don't think they know exactly, you know, how long brain activity. Yep. would last in in anybody when you die like how long do you actually have before you know all function ceases right so if you get frozen at the wrong time isn't it possible you're just stuck in like a nightmare frozen coma for centuries right bedford yeah. could still be dreaming about you know the 66 mets and he's been dreaming yeah. for 55 years with that you know yeah yeah uh, that being said I, you know i think i i'm a curious enough person about history yeah. and things like that, that the possibility of seeing the world 200 years from now yeah. does have some sort of an appeal. Like, I get that. Like, I, yeah. I, you know, but, you know, we only know the reality that we know. So would the future be so terrifying and awful that is that even yeah. really worth getting into? Yeah. So That's interesting. Like, I do feel like I want to know that, but I don't want to have to try and live a life in that. Cause yeah. like, then you'd have to figure out, like, you'd have to figure out how you're going to live and eat and who, who you're going to live with and who you interact with and what is your day to day? Like, I think that's, what's daunting to me. Yeah. There's a, I, I might've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I think about this a lot. There's a German word for like, not, and I don't know what it is, but it's for like, not knowing the outcome of history that mm. you're living through. And, and especially given everything that's going on now, I think about that a lot, like all this stuff that we're living through and investing in, we're, we're not going to know how it turns out. Like we're, yeah. we're not. And so I think that's, like that part of it is compelling and interesting to me, yeah. um, but not enough that I want to live through it. It's, I just want to know it and I'm not going to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's fair. Like, I feel like if the technology ever comes around to the idea that they could even do this yeah, and like you could actually be unfrozen and you're not completely decrepit and you know, they're not just keeping yeah. your brain alive or, you know, they're because right. in the other thing is in recent years, recent years, in the last couple of decades, they then also went to just freezing heads as opposed yeah. to whole bodies. Yep. Uh, sort of like Futurama where it's just the heads yeah. in the jars. Yep. But like, that's also a thing. And then I don't know, you have to attach those to bodies or you're just living in a jar. I don't know. But yeah, I feel like, I feel like, I don't know, your future's kind of set. I don't think you have to worry about a lot. I don't think they're going to unfreeze you and then you got to go to work. Like, that doesn't feel <laughs> like, I don't know, I could, that, I could be naive, but that feels like you You write a book, right? And just talk yeah. about the past. I, I could talk about the plague in real time. <laughs> well, you know, I could point back to our, our episodes that have now aged for centuries. 
feel like this is what happened one year. That was me back 200 years ago. Whatever the 2421 version of Good Morning America is, we're on that show. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Spotify still show, airing old episodes of Rogan crammed in between our episodes of the show. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, there's an interest there. Like, I don't know that I would do it. Like, you know, I, like to your point, like, I don't know that I would want to like wake up hundreds of years from now, not know anybody and yeah. have to function in that world. Like part of the whole thing, like when you and I go to antique stores, I like to nudge you and point out things. I don't like going yeah. to antique stores by myself, really. Yeah. Right. So if it's the I future and you're not even there, who am I going to nudge? Just whoever's around. Exactly. Be like, oh, can you believe this? They'll be like, yeah, I grew up here. <laughs> That's not a good conversation. Yeah. You don't even need to go to antique stores. You'll just go to regular stores and be like, oh yeah. my God, can you believe this? Yeah. I'll just be walking into the Dollar Tree or Poundland yeah. or whatever it's called and just be like, hey, <laughs> what's going on with this thing? Can you believe Tom Brady's still playing? This is amazing. <laughs> he reanimated that guy. He's incredible. So, oh, he's yeah. won his 25th Super Bowl ring. Oh, this guy's incredible. Oh my God. That's uh, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, because this whole thing exists, um, I don't know how long suspended animation has existed in fiction, but we've gotten a lot of pretty good movies about this, like Idiocracy yeah. and Demolition yep. Man. And, True. you know, people are just getting frozen and sent into the future. That seems fun. So, great. you know, good plot device. Yeah, I think at least we have that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think we have covered the James Bedford story. Yeah. James Bedford. Bedford. We hardly knew ye. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. He's been dead a long time, but he's still out there. He's just in yeah. Scottsdale chilling. Maybe we'll see you again someday. Maybe. Do you want to uh, do you want to sing in the year 2525 as the outro? <laughs> you got no, that? What I think you should do is create the list of people who have been frozen from the year, let's say, uh, 2080. Mm. Who are the people who are alive today who in 2080 will be frozen? I want to know that list. Oh, so people so people of today who will yes. be frozen at that point. Yes. Yeah, that makes I, I can see there's a lot of celebrities who would who would step into that and yep. we would need them to see the future. We would. Clearly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, OK, uh, Scott Disick, um, I would say Kendrick Lamar has to be there. Uh, Rudy Giuliani's kid who's running for governor. Andrew, I think his name is. I think he could be in there. Uh, Gigi Hadid. That's somebody, right? She's probably there. Uh, who, who else? Uh, uh, Peter Fashionelli is there. Um, I, I would guess um, the the editor of Vogue, Anna Winter, she's there. I, you know, I would guess. This uh, has been. Bernie, it happened one year. Socialism never Come dies. Come find I us on MySpace. We'll make you our top friend. Down the road. Um, probably Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Uh, I would. Guess, oh, Left Shark is there. Um, who, we need representatives for today's society, but what's the name of Elizabeth Warren's dog? Is he still alive? Bailey. Bailey. Bailey's got to be there. Man, I would, uh, uh, oh, obviously the king, Andrew Dismukes. Dismukes is there. And, uh, ooh, that's probably enough. That's probably They're good. all going to fit in one capsule. <laughs>